1: Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB At-Bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep
2: left field. It's going to go. Alvarez
3: ties the game.
1: Subscribe to At-Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used
3: with permission. Better late than never. We've all heard that before. Well, it's true when it comes to Artemis 1. Better late than never. Uh, early morning launch on Wednesday. It was spectacular, and Stephen Clark was there for SpaceFlightNow.com, and he joins us from Florida. And Stephen, uh, quite a sight, a long time and a lot of money, and it finally launched.
4: Yeah, Steve, thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a long time coming, uh, five years late. Uh, this rocket has cost more than $20 billion to uh, design and develop, uh, but a nearly flawless, by all accounts, flawless launch uh, on Wednesday morning from Kennedy Space Center. This is the uh, most powerful rocket that has ever been designed and developed by NASA and one of the most powerful uh, ever to launch. It's in the class of the Saturn V rocket from the 1960s from the Apollo era. And uh, we waited Years for this launch and the last few months of the rocket has been delayed several times the last few months due to leaks in the hydrogen system. And we finally, everything came together on Wednesday morning and the rocket launched at 1.47 a.m. Eastern time. And the Orion spacecraft, which is designed to carry people on the next flight, potentially, if everything goes well for the rest of the mission, is now about halfway to the moon.
3: Yeah, it it was a spectacular sight, and the people that uh, happened to be there to see it, uh, once upon a time I, I saw a pre-dawn launch of Columbia on Columbia's second-to-last flight, uh, we were down there and and took the family out there and went through all the rigmarole to get close enough to a, a viewing site at a Kennedy Space Center, uh, it, it really was something, so for, for those on site, for that launch, wow! Something they'll never forget.
4: Yeah, exactly. It was a was a window rattling launch because uh, actually we have an office uh, uh, at the Kennedy Space Center press site about three and a half miles from the pad, and I was actually we have panoramic windows to look out for the launch pad, and I was inside uh, for doing covering the launch, basically updating our website and doing some commentary on our YouTube uh, channel, and uh, but. Could look through the panoramic windows, watch the entire sky light up, and the windows started rattling because it takes. We were about three and a half miles away, so it took about fifteen twenty seconds for the sound wave to reach us. And I've seen I've seen hundreds of launches, uh, and including a few space shuttles. And to me, this uh, this rival the space shuttle maybe was even a little more powerful. More the sound was a little bit louder than the space shuttle, which makes sense because it is. A little bit more thrust than the shuttle was, and it's nearly twice the height of the space shuttle as well in terms of the height of this, of this Artemis uh, rocket. And it was just a spectacular sight. And uh, I was, you know, I looked over to my colleague about 30 seconds after the launch, and we were we were both inside watching it uh, through these windows. And I was like, I got to go take a look at this outside. <laughs> so I, I yeah. ran outside for about 15 seconds, just got got a quick glimpse of it, and it's something I'll never forget.
3: Yeah, it, it, extraordinary. But there still are critics of uh, SLS Artemis One on this test mission. Number one, the expense. Number two, the fact Mm -hmm. none of it's reusable. Everything that launched uh, early on Wednesday morning is disposable. None of it's coming back to be reused.
4: Yeah, you're you're exactly right. We've we've become accustomed to uh, the regularity of seeing SpaceX land and reuse their uh, boosters and as well as their, their payload fairings, the nose cones of their rockets, they also reuse. So, you know, on a SpaceX Falcon nine launch, more than three quarters of that vehicle is reusable. And, uh, of course, SpaceX is, is developing the new rocket called the starship that we've talked about before that is designed to be a hundred percent reusable. And the space launch system rocket that we saw debut on Wednesday is kind of, uh, a blast from the past uh, in the sense that it is a fully disposable, expendable rocket, whereas SpaceX is moving in the reusable direction and even other companies like uh, United Launch Alliance are at least talking about recovering and reusing their engines on their future rockets. Uh, But the Space Launch System, no plans to recover or reuse any of these elements. And I mentioned off the bat, this rocket has cost more than 20 billion dollars to develop and get to this point and right now the unit cost of each of these rockets is 4.1 billion dollars so the next one will cost 4.1 billion dollars and the one after that will cost 4.4.1 billion dollars right. according to nasa's own inspector general and so these are very very expensive rockets uh, but the difference i think the one difference is that uh what NASA would tell you is the space launch system is designed to get humans to the moon, not land it, not not land on the moon, mind you, but to get uh, humans to the moon in one shot. And SpaceX's Starship does require some in-orbit refueling to be able to get that same amount of mass to the moon. But uh, in the long run, I think you'll be difficult to you'll be, it'll be difficult to find anyone to ask to, to tell you uh, that the. Space Launch System has a finite, shelf, a finite shelf life because the writing's on the wall that um, at SpaceX, they have a solution that maybe is a little will take a little bit uh, longer to develop in terms of getting capability to get humans all the way to the moon, it, 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 like the Space Launch System and Orion can. But once that capability is sustained, we're talking costs that will be in the single digits percent of cost of the Space Launch System.
3: And we're pleased to be joined by Stephen Clark from Kennedy Space Center on the Cities One Plumbing Talk and Text Line and uh, his website, SpaceFlightNow.com. So let's take us through the timeline of this particular mission, that the the spacecraft will orbit the moon. Uh, There's a lot they're checking out. And then beyond that, the next launch, would would that be Artemis 2? Take us through that.
4: Exactly, yeah. So this
3: mission is an
4: unpiloted, uncrewed test flight. And uh, basically, the rocket uh, is fully uh, developed, and this was a test flight of the full-up rocket. The spacecraft, which is the Orion capsule on top, is nearly ready to carry people. It lacks a few things like cockpit displays and controls that they're going to put in for the next mission. But it, the plan is, if, if this mission ends successfully the plan is to put uh, four astronauts so it'll be three Americans and one Canadian based on the international agreement that NASA has with the Canadians on the Artemis 2 mission and then Artemis 2 mission would uh launch on the same type of rocket same type of spacecraft and actually send those four astronauts on a trajectory around the far side of the moon sort of like an uh, If if any of your listeners remember Apollo uh, 13, where they did what's called a free return trajectory, where they just bounce around the far side of the moon and come right back to Earth. And uh, that's the the flight plan for Artemis 2, assuming the successful conclusion of Artemis 1, which is now on the way to the moon. This Artemis 1 mission is uh, scheduled to return uh, to, uh, the Orion spacecraft is scheduled to return to a splashdown off the coast of California in the Pacific on December the 11th.
3: All right. And then Artemis two. when could we see a launch, or is that a ways out?
4: It's it's a ways out. Uh, So it's about two years away uh, from launch. And one of the main things that they have to do uh, before then is they have to modify uh, the mobile launch platform uh, tower that the uh, rocket launched off of. They have to install a crew escape system, which is – kind of like a system, like a roller coaster type system where the astronauts, if there was an emergency before the launch, could bail out of the spacecraft and ride a, like a rail car or slide wire type thing off of the pad. And they have to modify that tower to, uh, to add that and to install that. And another thing I mentioned earlier was the crew displays and cockpit um, uh, controls for the crew mission have to be, uh, the development of those have to be finished and installed on the wow. next Orion spacecraft. And we talked about no reuse. That's not entirely true. There's a tiny bit of, of, uh, of, of systems from this Orion spacecraft, uh, like a, a couple of computers and some avionics that, uh, they are going to recover from this Orion spacecraft, uh, that when it splashes down after Artemis 1 and put those into the Artemis 2 spacecraft and refly them. So just based on the timeline to do those main tasks, um, it's about two years, so we're talking late 2024 for that Artemis two mission at the earliest.
3: All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back, and we'll get an update on uh, what uh, SpaceX, led by Elon Musk, is working on down in Texas and uh, is is a launch of Starship uh, imminent. We'll, we'll get Stephen's thoughts on that coming up in a moment here on News Talk. 830-WCCO
1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
3: Stephen Clark joins us. Spaceflightnow.com from Kennedy Space Center. And joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. A little bit later on, Sports Saturday gets started. We'll preview the Vikes and Cowboys tomorrow we have college football final, a number of area playoff teams uh, in action today. And uh, then uh, we'll get into the Big Ten and the top 25. Much more Timberwolves on the radio tonight. They're in Philly to play the Sixers. Uh, Steven, we we talked about Artemis 1 on its mission now to the moon, uh, what it'll do there when it returns to Earth. Uh, and then, of course, there's SpaceX. And they continue to develop The uh, Starship system, if you will, there's uh, a large heavy lift booster, and then actually the Starship that would ultimately orbit the Earth or or travel to uh, the moon and beyond, maybe someday to Mars. Uh, And we could see this fly relatively soon. What's the latest there?
4: Yeah, exactly. They've they've been working on uh, developing and testing the Starship down in South Texas now for uh, uh, three or four years uh, since we've seen some of the very earliest tests down there. I think back in twenty nineteen. Right now, they have uh, they've stacked a fully a fully uh, assembled Starship super heavy rocket uh, on the launch pad a couple of times for tests. The Super Heavy booster, the the first stage that gets the vehicle off the ground, has 33 engines, uh, 33 methane-fueled engines to power this thing off the ground. And just earlier in the week, uh, SpaceX test-fired 14 of those 33 engines together for a few seconds on the pad, and they're slowly ramping up. Uh, They're going to probably do another test-firing at some point with more engines, and ultimately we'll do a test-firing with all 33 engines. That'll be one of the final tests before they can sign off and give the go ahead to actually do this test flight. And the Starship is in the class of the Space Launch System and has a, it's about the, a little bit taller, actually, it has a, a little bit more per lift capability. But the difference, the key difference is in cost and reusability, as we talked about earlier. I, I suspect uh, we heard from NASA, which actually has a part in the Starship program because they want this. The Starship vehicle that sits on top of the Super Heavy to land on the Moon as part of the Artemis program. So all these programs are—it's kind of—it's kind of difficult to explain on on radio, but all these programs are kind of connected together. So uh, NASA's program to land on the Moon, to return humans to the Moon, their architecture relies on the space launch system to get the humans off the ground and the Starship element to actually land the humans on the Moon after they uh, after they rendezvous and meet up with the astronauts in orbit around the moon. So uh, I suspect, uh, I don't think it's likely that we're going to see a Starship super heavy test flight before the end of the year at this point, Uh, just based on their SpaceX is making slow but steady progress. And we've heard from Elon Musk a few weeks ago that they have kind of taken a more conservative approach in their development and testing of the Starship. Uh, Early on in the program, they were kind of testing things uh, See what would work. We saw some of the Starships explode when they landed, sure. and a lot of that was a lean forward strategy to try to be aggressive and find problems early on and fix them. And they and they did, and they and they succeeded in landing a Starship on an atmospheric low altitude test flight. Finally, back in uh, 2021, but we've heard from Elon uh, uh, based on some of his comments in the last few weeks that they're taking a more conservative approach because they they've built up this massive launch pad down in texas and they don't want to blow it up at this point because it's it would set them back uh he said i think it said six to eight months if they had to rebuild that launch pad if it blew up on launch or landing so um i think it's unlikely we're going to see a test flight uh before the end of the year but certainly uh remains remains a high probability that they could try to do it in early 2023 and at that point I think we've talked about this before, Steve, having America having two enormous, super heavy lift rockets, the Starship and the Space Launch System operational at the same time would be unprecedented because uh, it would give certainly the United States more capability in terms of space lift uh, than the rest of the world combined at that point.
3: Yeah, and beyond that, there's Falcon Heavy, which is just a beefed-up version of the Falcon 9, which is the industry workhorse, and we've already talked about the reusability of that and the the capability of the Dragon capsule to get humans safely into orbit to the International Space Station and bring them back safely to Earth. They they have a proven track record there. You know, the the capability continues to grow by leaps and bounds, and... That gives uh, the, the United States, SpaceX, their partners at NASA, a lot of different options to get human beings ultimately into orbit and then beyond. Because I know Elon Musk continues to talk about this dream of getting humans to Mars, and it, it would it would be in a starship the way it looks.
4: Exactly. Yeah, we don't want to. Uh find the uh, you know uh, we don't want to retire the Falcon 9 and Dragon just yet because those are the work those are the workhorses for SpaceX and really for America's space program right now we've seen 52 launches of the Falcon 9 and and one Falcon 50, 51 Falcon 9s and one Falcon Heavy so 52 in total launches by SpaceX this year which is more than once per week it's shattering any record of of uh, a launch activity or launch cadence by any company or government in history, and still a few weeks to go in this calendar year. And we just heard uh, SpaceX just announced yesterday that they're actually going to build one more, one additional Dragon crew, ca- uh, crew spacecraft to expand, expand their fleet. They had previously said that they were not going to build any more Dragon space, spacecraft. Uh, these are reusable capsules that carry astronauts to the space station, but they are now building a fifth one. And that's to meet higher demand from NASA and also commercial customers like space tourists who want to fly into orbit. Uh, and they say this will meet the demand that they see for the rest of this decade through the 2020s. So they're seeing very high demand and uptake for the Falcon 9 and Dragon spacecraft. And perhaps uh, this may the decision to add another Dragon spacecraft may suggest also that maybe the Starship is going to be not quite not not quite ready as soon as they had originally hoped because the initially initially they want to uh they've talked about switching over all their launches over to starship including their human launches but they don't want to do that until the starship is ready and is fully qualified to carry people to space which is going to take uh, probably a few it'll probably be a few years before after we see that first test flight until the starship is qualified to carry people so they want to keep the Falcon 9 and driving going during
3: that time. Yeah, and, and there, there seems to be an appetite for more orbiting platforms, if you will. Uh, the, the, the Chinese have one, and they continue to expand that. And we have the International Space Station, and ultimately the partnership with russia is, is still out there and there's some uncertainty but uh, there, there's sure to be more orbiting platforms and the fact that you you have a, a it's still dangerous but a reliable performer like Falcon 9 and a proven capsule like dragon um i i I wouldn't be surprised if we see an announcement that they're going to build more dragons, that they're going to go beyond five.
4: Yeah, it it wouldn't be shocking because we're seeing um, NASA is relying on SpaceX to carry astronauts to and from the International Space Station, of course. And there are other companies uh, that are planning commercial space stations. Uh, And, in fact, uh, NASA, as part of their long-term exploration strategy, uh, is trying to f- repurpose a lot of their funding and effort and focus from operating the International Space Station to going back to the moon with the Artemis program. And uh, they don't want to abandon, uh, abandon low-Earth orbit, which is several hundred miles above the Earth. So their plan is to kind of incentivize commercial companies to build commercial space stations, could be several of them, in low-Earth orbit. And then NASA could lease time or, or or buy a ticket for a government astronaut on occasion to go to the space station to perform testing or research, but it would be a privately owned space station, sure. and the demand for transportation to that, especially if there are multiple uh, space stations in, in orbit, there will be even higher demand for crew, crew and cargo transportation from companies like SpaceX, which is which is the leading, of course, the leading transportation provider for low Earth orbit right now.
3: Yeah, and Boeing uh, trying to catch up with their Starliner uh, capsule. Uh, before we let you go real quick, is there any update on, on where Boeing's at? And I, I know they're working toward a crewed launch of Starliner.
4: Right, right, yep. Uh, right now, the most recent update we have from Boeing is they're targeting no earlier than April for the first crew flight on oh. the Starliner. That's about a two-month delay from what they had announced back in the summer. Uh, So they had this mostly successful unpiloted test flight to the space station back in May, which itself was delayed from a a kind of a failed test flight back in 2019. They redid that test flight. It went much, much better. Uh, It achieved all of its primary objectives and docked to the space station back in May. But there were a few minor issues with thrusters as well as some issues with um, I believe an issue with the, uh, with the uh, docking system on the space station where it links up with the space station uh, that they were able to overcome on that test flight. But they want to evaluate the long-term implications for that. And, of course, when you put astronauts on it, they are even more risk-averse. So they're kind of crossing their T's and dotting their I's in that regard. So April would be the earliest we could see astronauts fly on Boeing's capsule.
3: All right. Well, always good to visit with you, Stephen. Uh, Enjoy your work at SpaceFlightNow.com. Take care.
4: You too. Thank you.
3: All right. There he is, Stephen Clark, joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. We'll have the weather in a moment. And then Chris Thomason from the Pioneer Press. Huge game tomorrow U.S. Bank Stadium. The Vikings and the Cowboys uh, the Vikings tied for the best record in the NFL with the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll get into all of that in a moment here on News Talk. E3O and WCCO. Tough day to play football outdoors. St. John's, Bethel, uh, Bemidji State, Winona State, Minnesota State, kettle playing outside today. We'll have the D2 and D3 playoff scoreboard coming up. A little bit later on, hopefully some game reports as well, but there's a football game indoors tomorrow, U.S. Bank Stadium, and it is a big one. Cowboys and Vikes, 325, Jim Nance, Tony Romo, the CBS crew in town for that one. Uh, The Vikes with the Eagles have the best record in the NFL, and uh, it's a big showdown, and Chris Thomas will be covering for the Pioneer Press online at TwinCities.com and Chris joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Well, uh, with, with the likes from the start, a lot of big games. are getting a lot of attention.
2: Yeah, how's it going? How, thanks for having me, Steve.
3: Yeah, uh, the little thing uh, that, that stands out to me. Uh, this game opened Dallas, favored by 2.5 on the road. Uh, it's fallen to 1.5 for people that keep track of that sort of thing. But uh, it is a bit curious to me that uh, the Cowboys are a slight favorite on the road considering
2: how well the Purple are doing and the fact that
3: they're 8-1. Yeah,
2: I I don't put a lot of stock into that. Basically, the job of Las Vegas is to get equal money on both sides. And the Cowboys, known, of course, as America's team, even though they haven't been to an NFC Championship game in 27 years, they're still known as that, have... So much popularity that the line is going to swing a little bit, maybe toward them. It's kind of like Notre Dame football too. The the line's always a little artificial just because it's Notre Dame. But uh, I mean, if you've fished everything into a computer, the Vikings probably by virtue of being home field would be slight favorites. So I'm not, I'm not too alarmed that the Cowboys are favored.
3: All right, Chris, you've watched a lot of football. I've seen a fair amount of football in my day Uh, youth, high school, a lot of high school football, a lot of college football, and and a fair amount of pro football you've covered for a long time. Uh, What transpired in Buffalo in the fourth quarter uh, and ultimately in overtime? That's one for the books.
2: Yeah, I would think regular season games. I can't think of a game that I've ever been to that tops it. Of course, playoff games are a little bit different obviously right. with the Vikings you had the Minneapolis Miracle and uh right. I've seen some I've seen some great Super Bowls the Seattle New England one the Atlanta New England one and the one here in Minnesota Philly and New England but uh any game for just sustained drama over such a long period I mean with the Vikings coming back in the fourth quarter and then nearly all of overtime i mean i don't think i've ever seen a game with so much edge of the seat type stuff for such a prolonged period i think uh from you know late in the game i think from like the 2 minute warning through overtime it was like 40 minutes or something like that yeah,
3: and there's a lot of way to describe this team you could say they've been fortunate and and they they've had a lot of breaks and so on and so forth but I'm I'm getting to the point now in this season for the Minnesota Vikings, I, I think resiliency is is something that stands out to me. They 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 tend to bounce back. They don't quit. All of those sorts of things. They they've just had a knack to get it done. And and let's face it, you know, when, when you look at records and who gets into the playoffs and. Who gets a home game in the playoffs or who gets home field advantage in the NFC playoffs? Style points really don't matter. Wins do.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. They've just had that ability to bounce back, and they just make key plays always when they have to. And if you talk about them getting all the breaks, I mean, against Buffalo, there was the controversial catch late in um, regulation there. And then there was the 12 men on the field that wasn't called in overtime. And then against Washington the week before, you had the official banging into Cameron Bynum. So those definitely weren't sure. breaks. I mean, if those had been going the Vikings way, then you could say more like, oh, they just getting every single break. But, you know, really they're creating their own breaks. And when they have breaks go against them, they, they bounce back and uh, rebound.
3: Yeah, it it really is extraordinary how this group uh maybe a year ago uh you know found ways to give games away and you you've brought it up more than once Chris when we visited. Uh they they weren't that far away from being a playoff team and that that's really how it goes in the NFL. The the margin between a team that goes 6 and 11 and 11 and 6 isn't really that great. I mean, a few breaks here, a few breaks there, a big play here, a big play there, and you, you can get it turned around in a hurry.
2: Yeah, two years ago we've talked about it. I mean, basically they missed the playoffs to, to Chicago by one game, yep. and then last year they missed them to Philadelphia by one game. And, uh, you know, it, uh, but it's just incredible that every single close game, as you well know, has gone their way. They've tied an NFL record for most consecutive games won that were one-score games of seven in a row. So you might say they're going for a record tomorrow, but uh, I'm sure the Vikings would uh, much rather finally take a routine win than yet another one-score win. And But, you know, getting a win they want nevertheless.
3: Justin Jefferson, an elite a receiver. Wow. Uh, the, this kid's something else. Uh, maybe a little too early to put him into Randy Moss' category, but he is a good one.
2: Well, he needs 88 yards tomorrow to break Randy Moss's record. Most yards in a player's, in a wide receiver's first three seasons, which is kind of crazy because uh, yeah. this third season is barely half over. I mean, it's just been unbelievable the way that. He's kind of rebounded. He had the great game to start out against the Packers, and then Philadelphia and Detroit kind of held him in check. But since then, he's been completely unstoppable. I mean, they've gotten creative in ways to move him around and get him the ball. And uh, you would think teams would be studying the film of what Philly and Detroit did, especially Detroit, because um you know philadelphia had slay and he's pretty good most teams don't have a comparable player but you'd think teams would be thoroughly studying that tape to at least somewhat slow him down but nobody yeah. can even somewhat slow him down uh
3: chris before we run out of time uh anything in the injury report for either team that stands out to you
2: well uh third straight game dalvin tomlinson will miss and uh the teams have been, you know, piling up a lot more rushing yards with Tomlinson out the last two games. I mean, one reason is they've also faced some running quarterbacks and Taylor Heineke and uh, Josh Allen. So that'll be worth watching because, obviously, with Pollard and Elliott, the Cowboys have a couple of pretty good runners, and Tomlinson will miss another game. And then at cornerback, I mean, they're getting a little thin there. Camera Dancer got hurt. Caleb Evans got hurt. And now Andrew Booth is getting the start, his first NFL start tomorrow, the rookie. And uh, he got yanked out of the game with the final three plays after making a couple of mistakes last week against Buffalo, but uh, in favor of Duke Shelley. But they're giving him another chance right away. So it'll be interesting to see how Booth does tomorrow.
3: And Cowboys right now, Solid team, six and three in a deep division. Uh, you got the Commanders, you got the Giants, uh, and of course the Philadelphia Eagles that the Vikings saw and and really struggled against in week two. So once upon a time, not all that long ago, the NFC East was considered maybe the worst division in football, and now it may be the deepest division in football. But this Cowboys team, pretty good defensive team. This will be a challenge for Kirk Cousins and company.
2: Yeah, they've given up a whole bunch of rushing yards the last two games, average of two twenty-three point five. so they're trying to correct that. But overall, they're fifth in scoring defense and 11th in total defense, so overall it's not a bad defense. And then on offense, maybe the uh, Vikings should feel fortunate that Dak Prescott actually is playing. They beat Prescott three years ago, and each of the last two years they lost to – Cowboy backup quarterbacks, Andy Dalton, two years ago, last year, Cooper Rush. So uh, maybe they're relieved that they get to face Prescott this time.
3: All right, should be uh, quite a show tomorrow, three twenty-five, US Bank Stadium. Chris, look forward to your coverage.
2: Appreciate it, thanks a lot.
3: All right, there he is, Chris Thomas, and uh, the Pioneer Press online at TwinCities.com, dot com. Vikes and Cowboys tomorrow. Uh, can the Vikes keep it rolling? 8-1, they, they blew up Green Bay in the opener and then got thumped by Philly uh, at the link. And since then, they've found ways to win, including that unbelievable win over the Buffalo Bills. Quick break. We'll come back with more here on a Sports Saturday News Talk. 830-WCCO. Gophers in Iowa outside at the U today. No thanks. Um, I, I bumped into a couple of people that that offered tickets to the game today. And I'm like, yeah, I got to work. Uh, <laughs> too cold. I'm not sitting outside at a football game or a hockey game or, or anything. Uh, for those that are, uh, good for you. Not for me. Uh, it, it's just... No. 17 degrees, winds out of the west at 20, gusting to 36. So they're howling through the open end of the stadium. Uh, Wind chill down around zero, no thanks. No thanks at all. We'll have a rundown of the Big Ten and top 25 scores. We'll have a ton of game reports. Real quickly, though, uh, we can get you up to date on what's going on in the D2 and D3 playoffs. Let's start in D2 Teams involving the Northern Sun and Bemidji State beat Winona State in Bemidji 31-70. to Want to talk about cold? Hopefully we'll get a game report later on from Kevin Reed. Minnesota State beat Wayne State 26-9 to in Mankato. So the Beavers and the Mavericks advance in the playoffs with a victory there. And let's get over to Division Three right now. On the road, number 13 Bethel wins at number 15 Wheaton of Illinois, 34 32. So the Royals advance. We're keeping our fingers crossed. We'll get a game report on that one. And then at home at Clemens Stadium in Collegeville, had to be chilly up there on the rug. Number four is St. John's beat Northwestern of Minnesota 49 0 today. Johnnies were up 35 rip at the half. Meanwhile, east of the St. Croix WIAC teams, done. Aurora wins at Whitewater 33-28, to and Wartburg beat visiting lacrosse 14-6 to in that game. And we'll talk D3 football a little bit later on with Pat Coleman from D3Football.com. And those are uh, the scores at the moment. Once again, we'll have Big Ten, we'll have Top 25. But first, we'll go outdoors with Steve Kearney following the news and weather at 4 o'clock. And then John Millay with an update on high school football.
1: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?